We are in our sermon series, Level Up. Now, Level Up is not about climbing a ladder into heaven. Uh, It's about leveling up our faith life. Uh, From the moment Jesus tackles you, we spend the rest of our life getting used to the fact that we have a Savior. And so, how we live our lives, um, uh, whether it's faithfully or unfaithfully, uh, can be uh, what we're talking about when we're talking about level up. That it's not about getting into heaven, it's about, it's about um, growing deeper and more fully in your trust in Jesus. And how that has an impact on your entire life and things don't always look the way that you think they may look. So we've been talking about these seven marks of discipleship. Traditionally, that's what they're called. But these are those things that a Christian who is leveling up in their faith is engaged in. And it's real simple to think of the people in your life that you look at that you say, I wish I was a Christian like them. I wish I had the kind of faith that they had. And I'm telling you that there's nothing magical about them per se. Uh, it could be your grandma, your grandpa, your mom, or your dad. Maybe it was a confirmation teacher, or, or maybe you're just like, you know, Billy Graham. I want to be like that. I guarantee you... They are practicing in their daily and weekly life these seven marks of discipleship. Now, we've been using this acronym, Power Up, for the seven uh, marks because power ups are what you get in video games to level up your game. Uh, We've been talking about the P in Power Up a couple weeks ago. That is pray. That when we pray, we, we're able to, to talk with God and God speaks to us and, and acts in our lives in ways that we can experience and see. We talked about the O in power up. This has to do with that you have so much to offer, your time, your talents and treasure. From the moment Christ tackles you, everything that you have is uh, put into a new perspective. And that for the sake of the gospel, it's the most important um, uh, issue for any life. It's the absolutely most relevant thing because... Christ has overcome death, that means that this is not all there is. This life and the suffering that can go with it is not what is all there. There's so much more, um, and you are blessed with so much more. The W in Power Up stands for worship, that we need a time to rest in God's presence, to be renewed, to to, um, uh, be equipped, to to be called and, and... uh, into the, the business of tending for God's world and to be strengthened, that in worship we engage God where he promises to be and get empowered to live out our faith every day, uh, day in and day out. And today we're going to talk about the E in Power Up. <clears throat> Maybe you figured it out from the video that you saw, uh, but Power Up, sta- the E stands for Endure. How many of you have run a marathon or are marathon runners? All of you. That's great. Um, if you do anything athletic, you'll, you'll learn very quickly that the first time you do it, you probably won't have, uh, you won't be able to do it very long and you probably won't be very good at it because the more you do something, uh, the more you, you develop endurance. You're able to do it longer uh, and you develop dexterity. So you're able to do very precise things, whether it's playing a video game or whether it's, it's typing on a computer. You don't type 50 words the first time you do it. it. It takes time. And that's the case with anything. We develop endurance in whatever we're doing. We're able to endure longer, including things like games, uh, like, like learning how to play chess, 
the more you do it, the better you get at it, the more you can do it, um, and so on. So endure is a very important mark of discipleship because from the moment Jesus tackles you, you spend the rest of your life getting used to the fact that you have a Savior, and it's not a sprint. Christianity is not a project that you've accomplished. Well, I made a decision for Jesus, so now on to the next thing. There's a movie that I really like called Ratatouille, and there's a line in there where the mean character says that his mom has died, and one of the chefs says, oh, I'm so sorry, and he says, yeah, but but she believed in heaven, so she's good, afterlife-wise. And that's not what we're talking about here. Your faith in Jesus is not a, is not a, a, a project that you accomplish by choosing him. It's an entire lifelong experience and relationship. Uh, and so we, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Well, if you're like me, and uh, the day that, that Christ tackled you was uh, very early in your life. For me, it was April Fool's Day, 1978. That's when I was baptized. That's what I look to to say that's the day that Jesus tackled me. And I've been spending the rest of my life getting used to the fact that I have a Savior. And I have, hopefully, a lot of life left to go. And that's where endure becomes important. Because endure means to suffer patiently. To last. Now, maybe um, um, this is not a surprise to you. I hope it's not. But following Jesus does not mean that your life is going to be safe. It's not. In fact, the fact that you follow Jesus actually puts you in a dangerous predicament with the rulers of this world, sin, death, and the devil. Because when you follow Jesus, you stand in opposition to sin, to death, and the devil. And so, life is not going to be safe. There's going to be suffering. And Jesus makes this very clear in the scriptures. Um, He says that you're going to suffer. When we follow him, we're going to suffer. He says in his Beatitudes, blessed are those who persecute you for my namesake, for great is your reward in heaven. Well, to endure is to suffer, to suffer patiently and to last. Over and over again, it says this too. The Apostle Paul says you're being conformed to the image of Christ. And to those who endure, they will receive the reward. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, says this as well. He, says, he uses the word conquer, but he says, For those who conquer, I will clothe you in the white robe of righteousness and place on your head the crown of glory, and I will bring you into my heavenly reward. Uh, in my Father's house are many rooms. Um, I go to prepare a place for you. All of this includes endurance. Jesus says, For those who follow me, You need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Because Jesus opens up heaven by going through the cross. We don't level up to a higher level. Jesus is the one who does all the leveling up, okay, Uh, for us. He goes and he dies on the cross for us, and in so doing, blows a hole, so to speak, in death itself, and gives us a way to eternal life. And that way is Jesus himself. Martin Luther called this power-up the uh, holy possession of the church. He called it the holy possession of the cross or the mark of the cross. He says, we must endure, Christians must endure, every misfortune and persecution, all kinds of trials and evil from the devil, the world, and the flesh by inward sadness 
Think about the things that you suffer on a day-to-day basis. Because you follow Jesus, all of those fall into you having to endure your cross. Okay? Because of Jesus. And what the devil wants to do is make you give up when the suffering comes, when the trials come. To make you give up your faith in Jesus. To say, what's the point of following Jesus if, it's gonna be so, if I'm going to feel so miserable all the time? But, the, but Martin Luther makes the point that all of these things are part of the cross that is the mark of the church. When you have inward sadness, timidity, fear, outward poverty, contempt, illness, and weakness. And why do we suffer all these things? Why do we endure them? In order to become like Christ. We're being conformed into the image of Jesus. Like I said, the moment Jesus tackles you, you spend the rest of your life getting used to the fact that you have a Savior. And that means that there's going to be things that you must endure. But in the enduring, you're being made into the image to become like Jesus. The Apostle Paul sums it up like this. This is the verse just prior to what what Pastor Mark read today. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, maybe you've never heard this before. Uh, Maybe you've heard that Jesus was perfect and he took our sins upon himself on the cross. That's absolutely true. But it's more than that. By taking our sins on the cross, what Jesus chose to do is that he made him to be sin. So Jesus, in taking our sins upon himself, does two other things. Jesus says, not only am I taking your sins, but I am claiming that I am the chief sinner and I am the only sinner. This is what's known as the happy exchange. Jesus takes all of you, all that would uh, separate you from God, sin, death, the power of the devil, and he claims it as his own. And then he goes so far as to say, not only am I the chief sinner, not only am I the only sinner, but I am sin itself. And on the cross, sin is going to be done to itself. Sin is going to die. And so Jesus all the things that you suffer, all of, your, all of your burdens, what Jesus is saying, I am claiming those as my own. Now the problem is we constantly take our sin back. And we constantly take our suffering back. And we try to reconcile ourselves to God by how we overcome sin or, or whatever it may be. Uh, or we fall into guilt or so on. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. That's all mine now. You have no longer any claim to it. And what this also means is that when it's time to endure, when suffering comes your way, it is Jesus who chooses to suffer with you in the midst of it, but more so is suffering for you by taking it upon himself for your sake. Now you may still feel the burden in this old life, this old, this old body, and yet it is Jesus who's suffering for you, and this will give you the strength to endure and resist whatever would seek to take you, whatever misfortune would seek that the devil would use to take you away from Jesus. What do I mean by that? It means that, let's say you have an illness, that cancer you're suffering. Jesus is saying, that's my cancer now. 
It does not have the final say concerning you. This life no longer has the final say because I have something greater and grander for you where there is no suffering, there is no need to endure, and I am taking upon myself what you are suffering. And so the cancer that you suffer, while you experience it, while you endure it, it is Jesus who's saying, it's now mine, and I am suffering with you, but more so, I am suffering for you. I am going to suffer the cancer for your sake. If you're suffering misfortune in, in uh, poverty, the poverty does not define you. The poverty is not who you are. You may endure it, but Jesus is saying, that's now mine. I am going to suffer it. I am going to suffer for you. That's what Jesus is saying when he says this. All that would separate you from God, all that would seek to lead you away from God, Jesus says, I'm taking that. So that all you have is freedom in Christ. Freedom in order to endure the slings and arrows of this world, but to do so in faith. And in faith turns the world on its head. It makes you into the righteousness of God. There is a reason why this is effective. And it has to do with the way the world operates. By enduring your cross, you are standing against sin, death, and the devil and pointing to something greater to you, which is a sign of freedom and a witness to the gospel for your neighbors around you. How you carry yourself in the midst of suffering, how you endure, is a louder witness to your neighbors than probably anything else that you do. When you carry your cross, your sickness, your sadness, your struggle, whatever it may be, but you do it faithfully, you show yourself to be more powerful than the world expects or understands because all the world understands is death and loss and scarcity and suffering. When you suffer patiently, you are enduring because you know this will not last. This will not go on forever. Even if I lose my life, my life goes on forever because Christ has endured the cross for my sake so that I may endure the cross and be set free in him. So now Paul goes on to explain that Jesus being the chief sinner, the only sinner, sin itself, and now you the righteousness of God, he says, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. This word vain means basically like, don't treat your salvation, your relationship with Jesus, as like a project that, well, I accomplished that. I said I believe in Jesus. I'm going to go my own way. If it's in vain, then when the tough times come, you're like, well, why should I follow Jesus? He's not helping me with this. When that's all he's doing is helping you with it. But we can get so turned in on ourselves that we stare at our own belly button and we have ourselves a pity party. I know, I'm there all the time. When I look in the window or the mirror, I don't see the righteousness of God. I see a sinner who's broken. I went to the grocery store the other day and I bought groceries and he never uh, looked at, they have cameras on you? And I saw a reflection of the camera and it was over the top of my head and I'm looking at it going, where'd that bald spot come from? <laughs> I'm a sinner, I'm falling apart. And yet, in Christ I can endure with joy and peace and contentment and confidence that my Lord is with me in whatever circumstance I have to face. To take it in vain is to say, well, I'll believe in Jesus as long as he does what I want him to do. 
But this life isn't safe. And Jesus doesn't make it safe. In fact, Jesus takes you through the suffering, through the cross, into eternal life, into the freedom that comes in him. It begins now through faith. In the life to come, we'll know it by sight. But in this life, we don't know it by sight. Because everything seems backwards. It seems upside down. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. The power uh, up of endure means that now, I'm always living in the present. We hope in the future resurrection, but I'm not living for the future. I'm living now in the present because my salvation has come to me now. Even though I can't see it, it's already evident and real because of faith. I don't live in the past because the past has been swallowed up by Christ. He said it's mine. All the suffering, all your sin, all your guilt, all your shame, it's mine. Now you have a new present, a new reality. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time and you are favored because of Christ. And so when you have faith in him, you are able to endure, to suffer patiently. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance. Paul is talking about what it means to follow Jesus. Now that he's tackled you, how do you spend the rest of your life getting used to the fact that you have a Savior? By great endurance. Because what is this world going to give us? Afflictions, hardships, calamities. Do you know why Christianity is so powerful. It's because it's topsy-turvy and it turns the rules of the world upside down. Back in the day, they used to have these calamities called plagues. Maybe you've heard of like the bubonic plague or, or the black death. Uh, calamities happen. And what do people do in the midst of those calamities? During the plagues, during Roman times, the rule of thumb was that if a plague hit a town, you might have some family members staying with the, with the, um, the plague-ridden, but everyone else was to flee. Flee the town. Get as far away as you can. What it was phenomenal about Christianity is that from the moment that Christianity began, for 350 years, it was under outright persecution. You could be killed for having the name of Jesus on your lips. This is so far away from the way we think today because we live in the United States, we gathered here freely. I don't think any of you snuck in here like, like, like James Bond, worried that the police or the military was going to sweep in and arrest you for walking through these doors, right? But there are Christians around the world that following the name of Jesus, confessing the name of Jesus, can be a prison sentence. It can be a death sentence. And that's what it was the case for the first 350 years for Christians in Rome. They had hot and cold persecution. They had to endure suffering. But what they did threw all the rules of the world on top of their heads. Everyone would flee from the plague, plague ridden during these plagues in the ancient world except for the Christians. Christians would stay and would show radical love to those who were suffering from their illnesses. Those who were dying of the plague. And they would show radical love in such a way that, that it would boggle the mind then as it does now. If you want to know what radical love looks like, be like an early Christian who sucked the pus out of the wounds of the plague-ridden on their skins in order to give them some relief 
from their suffering and try to work healing as best as they understood it. They would show radical love to those who were dying. Why? Because death had no power over them because Christ is risen. They were able to suffer outright persecution and even the danger of death itself for the name of Jesus because to Christ be the glory and to suffer as Jesus was just a little taste of the cross that Jesus suffered for us. We have no concept of this in the United States. And yet, that's what happens. Christians who endure show radical love to their neighbor for the sake of the gospel, and it's a greater witness than anyone can imagine. It's suffering endurance. Uh, it's having great endurance in the midst of afflictions, hardships, calamities, showing radical love. And it's that radical love of those early Christians that caused a peaceful revolution that transformed Rome, the most powerful empire in the world, into the beginning of Western civilization as we know it, that we are the heirs of. Western civilization comes out of Christianity and this crazy idea that Jesus started, love your enemies. That's endurance. And it's the hardest thing in the world to do. And it's only by the grace of God that we can. Paul's now going to explain the things that he has suffered. Beatings for the gospel. Imprisonments for the gospel. Riots in towns just for uh, Paul pointing to the love of God in Jesus Christ. Labors. Sleepless nights. Hunger. But he says there are blessings that come with endurance. He's able to do these things because of Purity, by purity we're able to endure. Why? Because we've been made pure by Jesus Christ. God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees his beloved in whom he's well pleased. The knowledge of that is what gives us the strength to go on each and every day. We have the hope in the resurrection. Christ is risen, we will be risen as well. That gives us patience to endure suffering. That gives us a, a spirit of kindness. That all are made in the image of God and all need to receive the love of God that we have been given. It's by the Holy Spirit that any of this is possible because it's the Holy Spirit who gives us faith to express genuine love. This is the word agape. It means unconditional. It's loving the unlovely, not just loving those who love us. By truthful speech, this is the gospel, and it is the power of God to turn sinners into saints through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Lives are changed by the gospel. People are saved by the power of the gospel, which is the truth. And it is the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left by which the gospel is seen in you. And these are the power-ups. Prayer, offering, worship, endurance, reading your Bible, Uplifting your neighbor, pointing to Jesus, serving your neighbor. These are the power-ups that we talked about. They're your baptism. They're the word of God. These are your weapons by which we endure any form of suffering from sin, death, and the devil. And it's through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. Everything is being turned on its head. We are treated as imposters. The world looks at a Christian and thinks, you're a fool, there's no God. And yet, we are true as unknown. Who are we? We're no one important, and yet we are well known by God, the one who actually makes us being known of any value. As dying and behold, we live. We look in the mirror, we see the old sinner who's fallen apart, and yet we live because of Christ. As punished, in the midst of suffering, we feel like we're being punished, and yet we're not killed. We're being tempered like steel. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. The Christian 
can look at death and feel sorrow at death, and yet we rejoice because we know death has been swallowed up in victory. As poor, yet making many rich through the gospel. Rich more so than any worldly goods can give you. As having nothing, and yet because of Jesus, we possess everything. We have everything. Martin Luther summed it up like this. The mark of the cross, endure when you are condemned, cursed, reviled, slandered, and plagued because of Christ, there you know you are sanctified. Sanctified is a word that gets confused in the church. It's it's sanctification. It means that from the moment Jesus tackles you, the rest of your life being in relationship with Jesus and getting used to him is sanctification. It's not about getting holier and holier up up to heaven. It's becoming more and more assured of the grace that God has for you in Jesus Christ. And it actually brings you further and further down to earth to be the good creation you were meant to be to serve your neighbor. So sanctification is, is Jesus saves you and it's the rest of your life getting used to that salvation. That's sanctification. Becoming more and more conformed to the image of Jesus, which means loving your neighbor more, being kinder more. I use my dad's joke that I just get a kick out of. It's when you spend the rest of your life getting used to the fact that you have a Savior, you discover this interesting truth. He said, it's amazing anyone can smile over 70. And I said, why is that? He said, well, because everything hurts. You're suffering all the time. It's good cheer in suffering. It mortifies the old Adam and teaches him patience, humility, gentleness, praise and thanks, and good cheer in suffering. That is what it means to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit and be renewed to a new life in Christ. In this way, through endure, through enduring, we learn to believe in God, to trust him, to love him, and to place our hope in him. In fact, your faith is tempered like steel when we endure. And that's an everyday thing. So remember, in the midst of the trial, you have a God who loves you, who sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you, who has become sin itself for you, the chief sinner, the only sinner, so that that title doesn't even define you. When God looks at you, God sees his beloved in whom he is well pleased. Jesus takes all that he has and he gives you all that he has. He takes all that you have so that what is yours becomes his and what is his becomes yours. Your sins are forgiven in his name. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that in the midst of the trials, uh, we would not turn away from you, but turn to you so that we may endure it, knowing that you will give us great endurance to overcome all trials, all challenges uh, to your lordship in our life, that we can cling faithfully to you. All this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.